Welcome back to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. How do you dig the new intro song? It's a customized intro song. It is made by Danny Spatiri. He was a guest here not too long ago. And uh, he is awesome for doing this brand new intro song for the JMS Podcast. It's definitely more upbeat. And uh, yeah, I gotta say, yeah. We are back in business, ladies and gentlemen. I missed you. Hope you missed me. It's been a long two weeks. A lot has happened in the last two weeks. Jesus Christ. Uh, no, Jesus Christ always happens every week. But what I mean is is that I I, uh, I finally joined a gym. I know. I know. It's it's just it's been a long ordeal uh, dealing with my health. And now I was like, you know what? I never did get a membership for a gym in my life. I've always depended on like the gym at school. And I was like, uh, but then I was like, you know, who pays for gyms? Like, who are those kind of people? That that you, I mean, all, all you really are is just a hamster in one big glass building, and you're running your treadmill. So I, I nonetheless, I was like, well, those are very healthy hamsters, though. So I was like, I gotta get on this. So I went downtown. I'm, I got uh, a membership at fitness revolution i don't know i don't know i'm not even you know trying to promote them the point is i i got there and and i feel bad for the kid you know who's trying to upsell me the membership i was like no dude all i need you is to take me to the nearest treadmill and just let me run all right like like early in the day i was eating three donuts and i didn't even know i was eating a donut until the third donut i was like this is a sign i need to get myself a gym membership this is it it stops here and I went for two weeks, and then I, I haven't gone since. So <laughs> uh, I really got to make that more of an effort. But uh, I'm back. I, I also um, got some great news. I got some great events coming for the JBS podcast. If you haven't heard already, well, get ready. Because this upcoming Friday, which is the 19th, I am holding the very first JMS podcast poetry event. It is going to be held at a private residence in Campbell, California, if, if you're like not from the Bay Area or from San Jose. It's, it's in Campbell, California, which is in the South Bay. Tickets online, which are available at Eventbrite, are $8. They say 7 but plus processing fee, it's 8 bucks. And then at the door, it is $10 cash. Cash money, all right? But it's going to be a great event. We have some great uh, lineup of poets: uh, Donna Steelman, Caesar Kent, Lawrence Demuc, Roberto De Nico Duran. I mean, these guys are some heavy hitters poets. So I hope you can make it out. Food and drinks will be provided. And I mean, what else do you need that you get to see me live? You get to see me live, and I'll be um, having uh, conversations with these poets on stage, and they'll be performing. A select number of poems so what a night to uh, come out uh, be a part of on Friday May 19th in Campbell California for more information on Facebook just head on over to the JMS podcast Facebook page and there's the events page right there or you go to Eventbrite and search JMS podcast and we should be the first selection available and uh, yeah you'll be saying well Jorge if it's a private event you won't give me the address how to know where it's at well First of all, calm down. All right. Uh, pretty much, you gotta once you purchase the tickets online, an email will be sent to you with the address. And if you much rather pay at the door, 
All you have to do is email jmspodcast at gmail.com uh, about your intentions of, you know, paying through the door, and I will give you the address that way. So I really hope to see as many of you listeners as possible. All right. Going on with this episode, it's jam-packed. We have a great conversation with Terry Nguyen. She is the main guest for this episode. But before we get to Terry, had a great chat with Chalista. If you're not familiar with Chalista, she was also a guest here not too long ago. And I had a great chat promoting her upcoming show, Finding San Jose, which is coming on May 18th, 19th, and 20th in Japantown. For more information on her event, you got to visit chalista.net. Uh, so, yeah. I had a great time with Chilista. I went to her uh, apartment, which is a beautiful place. I got to sit down with her and her friend, who's a filmmaker, Jen, and with her pug. And you will hear her cute pug uh, snoring away during the conversation. I hope you don't mind it. I think it's cute. All right. There's something about dogs with with heart problems or with uh, or with certain breathing uh, noises that I found extremely cute. And I feel like something. Uh, Maybe it's an attractive, attractive quality that I, I, I also see in women. Like if a, if a girlfriend of mine has, you know, a, a certain uh, noise when she breathes, I think it's the cutest thing ever. Am I giving out too much? Maybe I am. But the point I'm trying to make is she has one cute-ass dog by the name of Luna and a great conversation. So here we go. Let's go talk to Chalista and friends. I'm here. I'm here with Chilista at her at her beautiful apartment uh, with Luna, her dog, and her friend. And uh, this is my friend Jennifer. Her friend, who is a filmmaker. Yes. Cool. And uh, we're here to talk about your upcoming album. Yeah. So. Finding San Jose. Yeah. So I just released Finding San Jose in September, and subsequently I created this production around it called Finding San Jose, so it's the same same name. And I used my album as a soundtrack for this production. Um, so I'm going to grab my little dog. Yeah. So is it like, um, it's a performance, so is it like a, a play or like an opera? Yeah, you can think of it as a play. So it's, um, it includes and it incorporates film and dance and music so it's really cool Jen did the film accompaniment to it so she created a full-length film to accompany the album which plays as dancers dance and it's, it's really cool and uh, what inspired you to take such a project like that um, I really love producing and directing multidisciplinary productions but what kind of experience did you have on that um, I've done a few I've done a few before um, Finding San Jose was Probably one of the bigger ones, but just um, earlier last year, I did the the um, exhibition with Baron's story over at uh, Anno Domini, mm-hmm. and that was you know my exhibit was the end of time, and Baron's was quartet, and we did that together um, as a dual exi- exhibit um, in tribute to Olivier Messiaen's quartet for the end of time. For those who are not familiar with Finding San Jose when it was released back then, was uh, it, that wasn't the one that you, you recorded at Anno Domini. This is when you actually you had the studio 
and, and uh, <laughs> uh, you had a, a crowdfunding project behind it, right? Yes. Yeah, so my first album, Juxtapositions, I recorded on a Zoom recorder at Anno Domini, and it was it was a piece that was a response to a painting by Jennifer Caviola. So that painting, it's right right behind you, actually. Um, and so Finding San Jose is an album that I did uh, successfully kickstart, and so I was able to raise over six thousand dollars. And the album was it's a pretty collaged album. So I did some at Tiny Telephone. I did quite a bit at my house. There's a lot of field recordings on it, and it's, it's really sort of a collage poem. And there's spoken word on it. There's all kinds of things on it. There's hip-hop. There's classical. There's a Pixies cover. There's a Portis Head cover. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of my original compositions, my quartets on it. So. Mm-hmm. And I think what most people are, are going to think once they hear the title, Finding San Jose, is why put San Jose as the as the theme of the album because San Jose is my home and it was the first place I ever called home really interesting yeah Yeah. it's completely I mean it feels like home it it just felt like home from like the moment I arrived here and um, have like I think a kind of intense love affair with it that's Interesting. Pretty Can you weigh in? Why, why specifically would you describe it as a love affair? I think because it feels a little tumultuous at times. Um, but, yeah, so when I first got here, so I'd moved here from France, right? Um, even though I'm originally from Colorado. Um, so I got here, and I really found a home as a creative, kind of in the visual arts scene, and just like working within that community as a musician um, and I just I found my voice here so I feel pretty I mean I, I really do feel like I owe San Jose my my creative life I don't I mean yeah it's kind of cheesy sometimes I feel frustrated living here but I mean I love it and I have a real relationship with it mm-hmm. you know so yeah so the album's just trying to maybe examine my relationship to San Jose more than anything else. So a very like love affair kind of yeah. element to your, to a little bit, yeah. to the, it's to like the album and to the, and, and to the performance. It feels like a first boyfriend. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Like first relationships are weird, right? Cause you know what yeah. you're doing. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so is, is, is that kind of a sense of excitement? Yeah, well. I think so. In the beginning, it was just complete infatuation and love, and and then it became more complex, and we got to know each other a little more deeply, and some flaws became apparent, right. but I still love it. Right, like everywhere, right? Yeah. 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 Now, for your upcoming show, it's three days. It's three days. Three I'm days. Crazy. And uh, again, like you talked, you have you know different media involved. Uh, you yeah. have music, other musicians you're collaborating with? Um, so it's primarily Jen's wonderful projections in film. Um, and then two dancers, so Lilith Ransom, who's the artistic director of Ransom Dance. And so she's a classically trained, she's kind of like a renegade ballerina. And a then, renegade ballerina. Yeah. She is the black swan. She is. She used to dance with like Nashville and LA and she's, but now she does a lot of modern dance and she does a lot of burlesque and she's been a long time collaborator at this point. 
And then um, Mojo DeVille will also be dancing in it. And so she founded and she runs House for Pens, which is a cool Oakland cabaret group. I love it. And Mojo's just radical. She's so lovely and talented and beautiful. And then we also have um, San Jose's own Lauren Baines, and she'll be also dancing. Mm-hmm. And um, I have the Blind Bandits are going to be opening up the night with a prologue performance. So they're a really great band from San Francisco. Um, am I forgetting anybody? Mm, I think that's it. Yeah, I scaled down. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can you describe the process when it comes to collaboration and envisioning? Uh, uh, how to best put things together to your music okay so jen knows this the way i collaborate is that i think we meet maybe once or twice and then i write out everything you need to do your job and i say i trust you and let you do your thing and it's always fine and i do that with the dancers too so like finding san jose is about an hour long and i think total with rehearsals we had maybe one or two so I write out a treatment, an overall concept. I make sure they have the tools they need. And I trust my artists. So So it's like you don't have like a tight leash on it. It's more about like here, here's a blueprint of, of what I like and do what you want with it. For me, collaboration means working separately under a common vision. So I really... You know, and I don't have a huge budget for this stuff, but I do pay my artists. And one thing that has always been really tough for me around here is people kind of taking advantage of people's time and making demands on time when time is like a really precious thing we have in the Bay, especially for our artists. Can't get it back. Yeah. And so I try to be aware of that and so I don't do the meetings I don't do the endless like discussions let's hash things out so it's really just like if I feel we resonate I think it'll work and it's Mm. been successful okay cool yeah and uh, can you describe the place you chose to hold this Akiyama yeah yeah so I really wanted a safe space you know what do you mean by that safe space I'm thinking you know Right now, for artists, safe spaces to perform. So where everyone is safe and will not get injured, um, there's just things in place to keep people happy, healthy. Because in the wake of Ghost Ship, I think that's kind of a big deal. Oh, okay. I see now. So Akiyama is just, um, it's a community center. It's a community health center in Japantown on 110 Jackson Street. Mm -hmm. It's just a small little space, but it's, you don't need more than that, so... That's what I'm doing. Well, it's, I, find, I find it interesting you chose that location. Uh, I mean, considering that it seems, again, I, you're in the scene. You, you have so many, uh, I feel like you got a lot of connections in different venues and different places. Uh, am I wrong here? I don't know. I think I just want to, I'm not about venue. I mean, I think my but, whole but, career is built on not doing venues. But the thing is, like, I, I find it very humbling and, and noble that you chose, uh, you know, such a, so, such a small place in, in, in a like oh, yeah. in the, well, small in the suburb of Japantown. Yeah, but small is like my thing. Like I, I, I can't. That's like my job. I think is doing like sometimes those bigger events, and I want to do for something like this. I want to do something um, more passionate because I think it's important to reach your audience. So like end of time, for instance, we couldn't fit more than fifty people in there, and it was perfect. You know, because you can see everyone's eyes. 
Mm. And so that's how you build an audience. It's not by playing these huge shows or playing like these huge venues that you can't fill. And then there's a lot of pressure for promotion and marketing that I just, I can't handle because I'm self-financing everything. And what do you feel is the ideal crowd you're looking for, for this show? I want my crowd to look like San Jose. You know, it's all mixed and wonderful and like there's all kinds of people. A little patchwork. It's cool. Yeah, I want it. I want, I want my audience to, to look like San Jose, you know, lots of different neighborhoods. I think my album sounds like San Jose. You know, it's kind of all over the place. I huh. Interesting. How would you describe your sound? And how it relates yeah. to San Jose. It's pastiche. You know, pastiche. it's a mix. It's a collage. Interesting. I'm only asking because I think... Uh, I feel like we, we have something in common here when it comes to our music. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you heard my music. Uh, if you did, I apologize. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's... A lot of my songs has to do with San Jose and the characters in San Jose. That's awesome. Uh, however, you know, I think I, I take it in a, in a different approach. I think a little more darker and, um, and, and, and I wouldn't say depressing, but definitely a, a, a little more on the dark, uh, mean streets like. And so I, I've always wondered about me, like if I'm putting these songs out, is it really my San Jose? Or do you think anybody's gonna relate to this, my version of San Jose? So I wonder, if, like, do you have these kind of thoughts when you were making this album? I made so many of the songs when I couldn't sleep at my in my living room, <laughs> so they're like insomnia jams, you know. But they're there's still the vision, the guiding vision of finding San Jose, right? So I think my my style of creating work, especially with music, is I like to curate my content. So I tend to put out like a ton of content, a lot of content, and then I go within it and then I curate maybe under a common theme. And, and has that worked well for you, do you or do you feel like it's always a journey? No, I think it works really, I mean, I didn't, I think what didn't work for a long time was not realizing that that was my process, you know, and I thought I was supposed to be, I don't know what I thought I was supposed to be doing, but it felt like everything I was doing was wrong because I was copying other people and it's just not my working style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I guess they don't really teach you in school. Like, sometimes you've just got to get out there and, like, figure out your own, your own way of working. And it might be very different from others. You know, we all have our process. What, what was the breaking point for you when you're like, okay, I need to, like, stay away from, from what I found, what I thought I should be as, as a musician to finding my voice? Was there ever a moment where you had to look back and be like, I need to make a change? Mm, I think it's pretty ongoing, actually. Um, I think right now where I'm kind of struggling is I don't really feel like a musician. I don't really regard myself as a musician because the stuff I'm putting out is more multidisciplinary. And I don't feel complete with just music. Like I feel doing stuff like Finding San Jose as a, as a production, as a full production feels really satisfying and meaningful. So there's dance, there's visual art, there's poetry, there's music. I don't have to play, which is awesome. Um, I love that. And then Jen and I recently did another exhibit called called Wants. 
And that was the same thing. And there was a little bit of choreography and everything. And then Jen made a film out of it, out of the performance, right? And we got a really nice feature on KQED. And that kind of work is more satisfying to me than just being a cellist. I feel like I'm more than just a cellist. I feel like I get pigeonholed in that. It's really frustrating. Um, Yeah, and it was also really hard for a while to figure out how to find collaborators because I think a lot of people... When they think of collaboration, maybe they're thinking they want someone to hang out with. (laughs) It's code for looking for a friend. Yeah, but then, (laughs) like, you can have your friends, but I think when it comes to work... um, Well, finally, I feel like I've got my collaborators now. So I have Jen, and I have my dancers, and so that's been pretty solid for now like two a year two years i don't know something like that and it's really because i think we're able to articulate to each other what we need um Mm. and it's hard to find collaborators sure is it's important to find somebody that you're you're just kind of like mentally in a groove with yeah um and i think a lot of people when they they talk about collaboration they talk about people who's they they want people whose personalities yeah. they're they're thinking about the personality. Are we are we going to be friends? That kind of goes back to what you were saying. Um, are we good company? Mm-hmm. Are we good friends? Mm-hmm. But it's I, I think that the the important thing is to does does the work groove with it with each other? Yeah. For me, um, you know, music's my job, so work comes first. So, like, it doesn't matter. Like, if someone hires, I'm not always looking for collaborators. You know, sometimes I'm just hired. If I don't get along with someone, well, I still really need that check so I can pay for finding San Jose. <laughs> right, right. You know, so the work the work should always be the focal point. I mean, and a good artist can work under any condition. I mean, the work comes first. The craft is what matters. I just... I don't know. <laughs> what matters what matters is 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 this going to be good work? Mm-hmm. Is are these pe- are is somebody taking advantage of me? Yeah. You know, and it, it's beyond those two things. It's just it's just like do I get along with you? Who cares? Mm. Mm. Cuz I think that's a pretty common theme. I mean, it was hard for me as I got into freelancing and it became full-time to feel out if people are taking advantage because sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes it's not clear. <laughs> How do you feel that manifests when someone takes advantage of, of an artist? Expecting the endless meetings, expecting yeah, the all the you know, expecting you to be on call, at the beck and call. Forgetting that you have a life outside their project. Forgetting, yeah. Because hmm. artists do have lives outside of projects. I'm aware of my dancers and then having lives outside of my projects. It's the bay. People have got to hustle. They've got to work. They don't, you know. It's, it's now pretty rare that I ask people to donate time, so I try my best, so, but yeah, it's hard to tell when people, when you're getting out there, because you want the opportunities, so mm-hmm. you'll kind of like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, but I don't, I don't know, I would probably tell most artists you don't need to, mm. if they're starting out, I don't know. Well, it's just important to be like fully aware in yourself mm-hmm. if you're donating your time. If you're, if you're, what you're donating your time to, why you're donating your time, yeah. have those, those, you don't have to tell anybody the answers, but you have to have the answers. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good way of yeah. kind of looking at it. But it's hard out there in freelancing for any, any job, for any discipline. Mm-hmm. It, it's rough. Freelancing's 
That's tough. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's always the, the chase, you know? Yeah, constantly hustling. I actually have to work a wedding on May 20th um, <laughs> for three hours before, but it's going to help pay for the production. So, you know, it's exciting. Yeah. It's kind of cool, too. It's like a wedding. Someone's love is paying for, you know, finding San Jose. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's going to be a long day, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any closing stuff when it comes to the show? Anything people would like to know with ticket prices? and? Oh, yeah. So tickets are available at the door. Or you can go online to my website, chalista.net. So that's C-E-L-L-I-S-T-A.net. And tickets are from 12 to $15. And show dates are May 18th, 19th, and 20th. And everything starts at 8 o'clock. All right. And uh, Jennifer, anything you'd like to add? Um, no, that about covers it. Uh, you should come see it, listeners. It's been a pleasure coming over here. It's, it's been a pleasure talking nice. to you. And, uh, and uh, yeah. Thank you. Go manatees. Thank you. That song you just heard is from Chilista's latest album, Finding San Jose. 
It is available for download and the album is available for purchase at Bandcamp. Just search for Chelista or you can visit her website chelista.net for more information about the album and about the upcoming event. All right. Moving on to Terry Nguyen. Terry Nguyen, uh, I do consider her a friend, although we don't meet up as much as I'd like to. Uh, but it, yeah, from I think um, she was the first point of contact outside of San Jose State once I started you know, going uh, and exploring the diverse art scene in San Jose. I met her during Cinequest. I was, uh, at the time, I was... Um, I believe I was unemployed because I just transferred over from San Jose. I had to quit my last job because it was too far. My car broke down. So I, I ended up volunteering, you know, at Cinequest, which was a great learning experience. I met some great, amazing people. And one of those people is Terry Nguyen. And in some ways, she really introduced me to the uh, to the scene in downtown and not just the art scene, but the music scene as well. So she is very uh, informative and uh, she, I think when it comes down to uh, certain aspects of the scene, she's very knowledgeable. Actually, most aspects. That's what I mean. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to have her here on this podcast. And we had a great chat. And uh, let's go talk to Terry Nguyen. Oh, and before we get there, so I forgot to mention, if you haven't already, you can check out the JMS podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please subscribe if you can. All right, for real now. Uh, I'm not kidding. Let's go check out what Terry Nguyen is up to. All right, Terry. Terry. That's Nguyen. me. Nguyen, that is you. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, how, how long have we known each other now? We've known each other since... Cinequest. Cinequest was the first... 2013, I think. Was it 2013? I feel like I've known you like much more like beyond that, though. I tend to have that impact on people. Really? Like, they go up to you and they're like, Hey, don't we know each other? And you're like, no. Something like that. Or, yeah. well, I just go, I get, Okay, I've seen your face, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I, is I, usually the case. I get that a lot, too. Sometimes. At, at supermarkets. Especially ethnic ones. You know, they're, they're like, oh, I saw you at so-and-so's uh, uh, traditional thing. I'm Is like, that no. like backhand for poor supermarket? No. <laughs> What's What do you mean poor? Oh, like, well, when people say ethnic, they don't want to be offensive, so they just say something that doesn't sound like it's attached to class. Well, if you want to be specific, um, um, it was usually Indian supermarkets. Uh, sometimes it's Middle Eastern supermarkets. But I never really associate that with poor. I guess we don't have to anymore. Okay. Right? I mean, like, I, I see your train of thought there, where it's like, oh, minorities. Yeah. Therefore, they're, they're in a different class structure, almost. It was that case in the past, like, more so. Right, right. But but, but in this, well, me in particular, it wasn't so much that they're poor. It was more just like, you know, they're... There were ethnic, other ethnic supermarkets. So oh, okay, yeah. It wasn't the usual... American supermarket stuff. Yeah. So I, I shop in weird places. I do too. Come to think of it. What kind of places do you shop at? Uh, well, I like Asian supermarkets. But that's like, there's like all kinds in San Jose in the Bay Area now. Like what kind of, are we talking like Ranch 99 or are we talking with Daiso? 
it's this. I guess it, it depends on what I want to get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, if I want to get my uh, anime weeb fix on, I'll go to Marukai or Mitsuwa or Nijia Market. So you have choices. A- anime for what? A- weeb. What is that? That's internet slang, and it used to refer to just white anime nerds, and now it means in general anime nerds. The longer word is weeaboo. Okay, but like, is it a book? Is it like mangas? Is it's it... a person who is a fan of Japanese stuff. Okay. Which can come in the form of games, anime, comics. I'll call them comics, it's easier. Where's the place to go around here for that stuff? For that? English translation or original translation? I'm, I'm, th- I'm looking for a location. Okay, but we'll see that depends. How? <laughs> Does location have a different name for different people? No, it has... Oh, okay, are you talking about the term or are you talking about where do you get your manga? Where do you get your manga? Okay, well, to get the new stuff, you get, you go to Kinokuniya, which is a... It's like a Barnes & Noble, but with Japanese literature. Hmm. Where's that located? That one's located on Saratoga Avenue and Moore Park. Yeah, that's it's that shopping area over by 280. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, not not by Guitar Center. That's San Tomas. But I, I have a, a, a bar parking where it's at. Manga. I can never really get into manga. Like I was really into comic books. I was really into like you know graphic novels. Um, but manga, it just seems like too much uh, dedication because there's like a whole volumes and series. And I'm like, do, do I really want to divulge myself in this whole, like, like I was wondering. It's like, a world. Yeah. Like, I, I wonder, like, how, how long does it take to go through, like, a whole volume or series of manga? And in my head, I was imagine years. I would say years. And that's because they're not, that's not the original publication. Like, in East Asia, you have people who travel on foot and by train a lot. And so they'll take, like, small digests with them. Like, even Harry Potter, instead of one book for for one volume it's going to be several installments for that one book mm. and that's just like that's like part to be of continued the, yeah part of the traveling you know fast-paced culture over there so then when you have illustrated stories it's also going to take form in like the back of a regular magazine so you have like little snippets every week or every few weeks mm. or so and then and then it once there's enough material it then gets published into its own volume and then the title becomes more well known <laughs> do you have any japanese roots i don't have any japanese roots how did you get involved with the uh, japanese manga culture i was a kid i saw sailor moon and oh, power rangers i was really into I was sailor moon super myself into it yeah yeah and I guess anyone who was a kid then and is an adult now is able to buy stuff for themselves. <laughs> right, but I was into Sailor Moon when I was younger. We're, mm-hmm. we're about the same age, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I can again, I couldn't get into the the manga culture. Like, like, at what point did that seem like a big interest for you? You know, I don't read those a lot. I watch the animations because. They've got voices attached to them and soundtracks and colors. So you, you don't necessarily look into the story. 
You're more looking to the aesthetic of it. No, I like the stories. It's just I don't have the income to buy lots of volumes of reading material. So I just watch the animation that came out afterwards. <laughs> That's how I feel about books. It's like, I just watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how old were you when you, when you got your, when, when you started digging through this stuff? When I got the Weeaboo bug, the I wee guess. The Weeaboo bug. <laughs> that would be somewhere around age nine, age eight. Power Rangers. Do you have like an older sibling that that also helped, like was into it that helped you get into it? Not really. My brothers were doing high school boy stuff like attracting girls and and joining I don't know track club or something. Is that what you're supposed to do? God, <laughs> I had it wrong the whole time. I don't know. You only have older brothers. I only have older brothers. Are you the youngest? Yeah, I'm the youngest, and kind of a tomboy. Yeah. But kind of a boy anyway that has like a girly flair. So here I am. How was that dynamic growing up? Uh it was weird. I don't I didn't know it was weird at the time. I just knew that my brothers didn't like makeup, so I never did makeup stuff, and my brothers didn't like high heels, so I never did high heel stuff. Yeah. And then I grew up and then I was like, I need to get ahead in the world. Oh, I need those things. So <laughs> I got to equip and like get my you know character sheet all together and. How how come you thought it was a necessity to have those things at one point? Um, it came from looking at the jobs that I wanted and being in a better. I don't know. I like. Yeah, I think you need to rephrase that so I can answer it. Like, okay, so you grew up tomboy, right? You were never into makeup until high heels. Right. What what was like, okay, I guess I need to get high heels and makeup. Like, was there a moment in time or was this like a new phase that came in in high school or in college? Uh, it was a phase in college and my one of my brothers put in a good word for me at his company. What kind of company was it? Uh, They're local. It's Juniper Networks. He doesn't work there anymore. Is it, is it like a semiconductor place? Uh, so they direct components to other products, and they get it all like assembled together. Got it. It's not a manufacturing facility. Okay. It's like so it's a networking company, and that's a vague term in this area because Cisco's a networking company, and they do the same thing. KLA Ten Card is a networking. I mean, you're like down the street from all of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Samsung is like right there. Exactly. Well, this podcast is a networking <laughs> organization. Maybe. Brought to you by. There we go. Okay, so you, you had a job offer. You're like, all right, I have, I have to look the part now. Exactly. And my brother was like, he brought a business suit from his wife. And he's like, my wife says you need a bra, and I don't know what to do, but you you probably need that so that you can show confidence and you should probably put on makeup so you look serious uh-huh. and you should probably like get rid of that punk attitude so that you can make a good impression with my boss. So you've been having a punk attitude from a young age? Hella. Hella? Hella. What spawned that? I don't know. Was it just having older brothers? Like I, I gotta put up you know my own fight here? I guess so. I never thought about it like that. How would you put it together then? I would say 
school is weird and I don't know why I'm getting bad grades, but I'm like the smartest one here. Okay, so you're growing up, you, you graduate, and now you're joining the job force. Now, were you, were you involved in events at this point or no? Were you, were you kind of doing your thing? I was involved in events. What kind of events? Well, I did I did performance in the orchestra. That's right. You yeah. play the cello. The cello. I did color guard one year because our school was picked on a lottery to perform at the World Games in Beijing. Wow, in 2008? Um no. No, before that. Okay. 2002, I think. Wow, that was something. Or 2001. How was that experience was for you? Uh, China's interesting. It was really fun to go with the marching band and a bunch of other dweebs from school to be in a, dif a different country to like say I could do color guard. And I met kids from Australia. We were supposed to meet kids from Japan also, but I guess like they pulled out of the performance or something. Was it political? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I remember buying this dress at a department store because it looked just like the Chun-Li dress from the video game. Mm. You know, like the, the 1930s. The yeah, the blue one, the Mandarin yeah. style, but it had like marabou feathers on like on the arms and, and on the bottom. So it's like... It was like kind of poofy, but it was still had like the cut off arms, which was amazing. I thought that was so cool. I negotiated and like I made the department store lady get all like worried that she's gonna lose her job because <laughs> I was haggling down a lot. Uh -huh. And uh, I guess like right after I bought it, I met another chaperone from our school. And like when I put my hand out to shake her hand, blood came out of my nose in this waterfall arc into my hand and I'm like oh I guess I can't shake your hand now my nose is bleeding why was your nose bleeding because it was really really hot uh-huh it's like we went in the middle of summer uh-huh so every day it was like pretty humid direct sunlight dry air I mean well like a crisscross of dry air inside the stores and like humid air outside so yeah every day bloody nose in China Every day. <laughs> Sounds like an album title. <laughs> okay, and you played, uh, you, you were doing the flag. I was doing flag stuff. Flag stuff, okay. Mm -hmm. So you were involved in extracurricular activities. Yeah, I did yeah. orchestra, I did something like martial arts club, which was like three of us. <laughs> um, I did cross country, I did track, I did anime club. Anime club was great. So th these bullies never really could stop you from doing what you enjoy. I guess not. Okay. And from there, you you graduated. You go to college. I went to college. I went to San Jose State for eight and a half years. Is that where we met? <laughs> I don't know. Did we meet in film club? The. I don't think I saw you in FPS at the time. I, oh man, I was vice president of FPS in twenty. 14 to 2015, I think. Oh, yeah. I graduated in 2011. Oh, my God. So. Okay. How, how, it was the how best was... eight and a half years of yeah. college. How was the film club back then? Film club was cool when I did a feature or two with them, and then it wasn't cool when this uh, girl started picking on me because she was afraid I would take her boyfriend. Jesus Christ. 
Now you're involved. Now in college, that's when those things get involved, right? Relationships. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then securities that come with it. I've been kicked out of a lot of things, and I would say the pattern's the same. Oh, what are the patterns? The patterns are uh, I offer a lot to the community because I'm doing stuff that other people can't do, and I enjoy it, and we're having a good time, and then a new person joins, and they go, oh, I don't like you. And then they start spreading bad blood, and all of a sudden, I'm not allowed at a party or something. Every time. Yeah. The new person gives you. Yeah. Like, that's the bad omen for you. Yeah. There's a new person to the group. That's it. That's my time. It's a new person that's sometimes usually always a girl. (laughs) Oh, interesting. That wants to get to the top, and it's like, there's room for everyone. Okay, now explain to me this. Uh, so you are okay. I, I'm, I'm sure that serial reject. Well, not just, not serial <laughs> reject, but you see, it seems like a lot of your troubles are from other women. Isn't that weird? So, do you feel like there's a culture among, I guess, in this case, American women, that there's a sense of insecurity and jealousies, so therefore, that there's a lot of situations like this that happens. I think. Something like that happens where women are put in a position where they have to prove themselves and the environment doesn't allow many of them. So in order for them to succeed, they have to be against other women. Hmm. And it's not like they want to be in the first place. Right, like I don't, I don't think anyone goes into a new team environment and go, "All right, who, what's the next bitch I'm going to kick out?" Right? No one thinks like that. But because of the competitive environment and the way that we we make women like fend for themselves and go, like you're not independent unless you're like the only one. It's kind of nasty. Yeah, sorry to hear that. But nonetheless, these were the best eight years of your life. I guess no. That's the best what you years said. of my life are like right now. Well, the best year, the best years of my college life are the college years. But, but the, the, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You said that when you're going to San Jose State for eight years, they were the best college days of your life. Well, yeah, like almost all the days. But that's because I like college, and it's it's a neat environment where you can like mess up a little bit and take care of the consequences with like like Good revision place. forms and you go to the counselor and you go I want to redo this because yeah. I can do better. San Jose State's good at that. Right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good place to, to mess up a bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just outing all the problems yeah. of our San Jose school systems here. It's amazing. Well, yeah, I think we both got that in common. Um, and were you involved with, with other organizations outside of San Jose State? Yeah. Okay, well, let's see. In San Jose State, I was in the Foundry Sculptors Guild, the Ceramic Sculptors Guild. I was in Chamber Choir, Marching Band, uh, Symphony Orchestra. Um, Gosh, I can't remember them all. I was in Film Club. And outside of school, I was doing internships. I did CineQuest and eventually made a job for myself at that company. Uh, I've been up and down the Bay Area in so many capacities. Hmm. What's the driving force behind all these stuff that you do? I want to make cool shit because no one else is. 
So you feel like it's a duty? I think so. That you're putting on on yourself? Yeah, but it's not like a pain to do it. Right. Uh, There was something I learned when I did like a vacation in Canada. And I stayed at this youth hostel. Like... Like it's it's one of those chain hostels where where they have one in every big city and um, and in the common room you've got your old dusty couches you've got like cups that don't match because they've been donated to the kitchen and you're hanging out with other people who travel around the world like the same age and this paintings like like a painting of that city is Vancouver and on the bottom it was like a hostel. Hostel stays create the stewards of the world or something. And I thought I was like, whatever that says, I'm not going to remember it, but I know I want to be a steward of the world and I want to meet people and I want to exchange these experiences with people in a way that is satisfying and not controlling. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's worthwhile. And I, I really want to share that feeling with people that they have the ability to create does that make sense yeah yeah it's just you know like that's amazing but i'm like dude the worst thing you got to deal with is people yeah people are horrible <laughs> they're pretty atrocious but, but that's the thing though that's the thing <laughs> why help them <laughs> well, well, well the thing is like because I, I relate to that it's like well, we we have like we want to be a part of something not just part of it but also a a a, uh, a moving hand into it a, a helping hand into it but sometimes when, when you put yourself in that position when, and then you realize that you you deal with certain people that either are competitive or just incompetent that and then makes you look bad it's like why am i even doing this then like and it's like do do you know what i mean um so there's a fine line there when you're like okay i'm here for the community i'm here to help the community i'm here to make events for the community but sometimes you feel like the community rejects you but you know which is not true it's just it's in your mind that it's not it's not the reality the reality is is everybody's trying to work with that with what they have but sometimes when when uh when i'm put myself in that men- like mentality of like let's do this what nobody's helping me well fuck you guys kind of thing do you relate to that a little bit well it's interesting that you put it in those terms it's like very charged words right there uh i would say that's a sign of someone who knows their strengths and knows what they want to add into the world those are really good a really good set of characteristics and you can't have a negative attitude and that desire at the same time. Right. That's my point. It's like you got to find that balance where you're not more the other. Don't let the other side of the spectrum influence the other. It can be lonely. Do you feel lonely? Uh, do I feel lonely? I feel rich in the things that. I want to share with people. I feel like other people want that too. So I don't feel lonely in that regard. But I think it gets... You get to the point where when you're ready to execute a program or a project and you need to find out who is available and willing to do it with you. Because it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort and trust to just go, yeah, I want to start this project. 
what's like the number one tool that you use? It doesn't have to be literally, but it could be figurative as well. That that once you're like, all right, this is the project I want to do. Like, what what was like one of the first things you think of and how to do it? I think of. I think of whether people are ready for it. To help you or the audience? To if the audience is ready to to receive the project, and that's like it's kind of like a cautious way to go. Interesting. Was there ever a project that you're like, no, these people are not ready? Uh, no. No. Okay, so, so you, I don't, okay, you never well, applied that. Well, I that point is moot. <laughs> Let, let's refine that a little more. Like, like, what are you asking exactly? Oh, like, I, I, want, I want to know your process and how, how you go about creating events. Okay. My thought process is there's something cool I want to do and I need pieces to get it done. And the really optimistic side of me says, yeah, I'll just put the word out there and uh, people will be into it and it'll get done. And honestly, that's not a realistic way to go about things because sometimes it works. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get flakes, including yourself. Mm. And it's like, Oh, there wasn't enough preparation. Interesting. Uh, so, responding to that experience, I would say, yeah, you need to find out if people are ready to be to be a part of it. Well, right now you're involved with quite a lot of things, right? Are you, are you still involved with the? Uh, well, just recently you had that event at the Forager. You had the. Uh, yes. The su- it wasn't Super Smash Brothers. It was. Super Soul Brothers. Super Soul Brothers. Yeah. Again, I feel bad. I walked in with four <laughs> bucks in my pocket. That's perfect. Uh, I'm well, sorry. We're not turning it, anyone away. It's even that. I was like, scale, I, was like oh, I should have gone to an ATM before I get got there. Oh. Yeah. But it was a good show. You had great bands. We had great bands. We had uh, our first show with an attendance of sixty to a hundred. Sixty paying, and then like a hundred just with looky loos and people like seeing Forager for the first time. So this was, this was during Comic Con, right? It was during Comic Con. It R- was right among your weebs. A little bit. Well, weebs are more anime specific. So for Fanime Con, <laughs> yeah, that's where the weebs come out. Yeah, okay. I have another show coming up. So the the purpose of this event is to bring back chiptune bands and nerd bands to play in San Jose. Now you you explained chiptunes to me once. I forgot. Do do you want to explain that one more time for me? Chiptunes, in a specific sense, consist of music that sounds like video games. It has that Mega Man feel. It's it's electronic. It has bleep bloops and it's. Is it specific to an era? Yes. Uh, They you know they call it sixteen bit or eight bit music. It's all MIDI controlled, and that came from. computer programmers that wanted to build an environment that you could play in and a lot of them were into heavy metal music so they made their game music sound like that in terms of chord structure and rhythm and and melody but uh, now you have all kinds of music in chiptune you have 
indie rock bands playing covers of video game music. You have jazz bands, or like, you know, Super Soul Brothers, they play Herbie Hancock's style of <laughs> Zelda, for instance. Um, you have rappers. There's this guy named Mega Ran. Raheem is an amazing rapper. He used to be an English middle school teacher in Detroit, and he quit his job to go do rap, and at some point he started promoting himself as Mega Ran, like Mega Random, right? And he, like he, his icon is Mega Man with darker pigment skin, and Capcom got a hold of it and was like, Mega Man's not black, and Ran is all, why not? And then somehow he became the first video game company-sponsored rapper in the world, and he's, like, traveling all over Oh, so eventually Capcom yeah. just accepted him. And yeah. He's, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so he tours, he raps. He raps about a lot of things, including video games. Yeah. Uh, can, can you uh, describe your experience with the uh, this culture of, the, of uh, gamers, of, of anime, and chip tunes music absolutely it, it, it almost seems like it's its own world in some way it is kind of its own world because it it happened in the lives of kids who stayed at home a lot i was a latchkey kid so i would watch cartoons at the you know at the end of the school day and that would be my day and uh, video games came from my brother who worked at Microsoft Games at the time, and he would like bring home stacks of things like, like Age of Empires. Yeah, that was a big one, and that's not like most video games either. Video games are they, there's like one for everyone now. Hopefully, uh, video game culture is not one thing either, because you have stuff that's made by big studios well it, right? it, it definitely has evolved yeah from when i was a kid yeah there, there was no such thing as a gamer when i was a kid right just, you played video games and the, the only real uh labels was like oh are you a ps a gamer right. or, or play, play ps or are you a nintendo guy or whatever right, right but now i think with the uh i think in the 2000s and on it was like they brought you know the sports the ea sports became a big thing fifa Oh yeah, and then Madden, and then you bring in the shooter games like uh, Call of Duty and this and that, which I think uh, went beyond than just latchkey keys. Uh, it takes all kinds. Kids right. now, now jocks are playing their games right. now. Uh, a wide politicians. variety. Politicians, <laughs> yeah, and that's a thought. You know, it's it's like in about thirty years we're gonna have a over forty years a polit a someone running for president who at one point must have played Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, that would be a given. Right, but right. Uh, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like it's now it's it's everybody in the world or you know who, who you know mostly everybody in the world who's involved in I video games. The thing we think of gamers is it's a dude, probably a straight white dude who is really into this world and they can name all kinds of consoles and know exactly what hardware came out with it and what games came out with it. But, you know, that's changing. To what? To, uh, it's like music. There's something for everyone. There's somebody trying to make money off of everyone. 
What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, let's peel it back a little bit. You have independent game studios that now consists of women and queer people of color and people who didn't have a chance traditionally to be part of a video game production studio because it had been a boys club for a long time or any in in the origins of video game programming there were a lot of people of color and and queer folks and women involved but they just got pushed out because of money or something same with film Mm -hmm. right I can't speak (laughs) for other people I could only speak for the thing that I'm doing yeah so I want to have rock shows that have these bands playing that are welcoming to people like me and by that I mean I'm not part of the boys club I don't want to have to know what equipment came out with what I just want to enjoy the aesthetics and how it sounds and be with other people that were slightly awkward and picked on and have a safe home to to be in and enjoy this know more about you know the, the how how the dynamic of working with so many different people and so many different things oh, that that pertains <laughs> what yeah yeah to that pertains to this to this you know anime culture because you're involved in those things and you 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 are a, a face that that pops up regularly on these events yeah anime culture in San Jose. And, and so far, it's growing. I feel it's like the biggest an, anime thing right now. It used to be Anime Expo in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, not anymore. Or it was in Anaheim mostly. FanimeCon is the biggest thing on the West Coast. Really? Yeah. Oh my! God. I didn't know that. Upwards of twenty thousand, maybe twenty-five thousand. It grosses a lot for the city of San Jose, just because people flying in from all over spend their money here. It's amazing. Do you, feel like, do you feel like uh, with the introduction of Comic-Con, is that competition or, or do you Not feel that's a partnership? I feel like it's embracing the, the many types of people who will consume and enjoy comics and games and animation. It's not, you know, like there's crossover. Everyone's got their own thing, In right? some ways, I feel like what took so long considering Silicon Valley? Like what took so long to get our own Comic-Con here? Oh, for fanime to grow to how how much it is. It now. takes balls to put on an event and put money into it and get people together to do it with you. Just like with anything, right? I mean, it's a it's a big project. It usually starts with a passion, and you go, okay, I think I can do this again and again, and then oh, now I got Waz to speak with us, and then you know, like. Oh, did you talk to Waz? I was never involved with Comic-Con. No? But I I think it has a lot of potential. Uh, It was a little disappointing this year, actually. Really? What happened? Um, Yeah, the vendors didn't make a lot of money. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The the signing booths were kind of, like, (laughs) under-attended. Well, have you seen those prices? It was, like, 80 bucks? Yeah, 60 to 80, 80 bucks a day. That's a day, like... Like oh, it, oh yeah. wait. So you pay 80 bucks and get as many signatures as you want? Uh, you go, you pay for your entry to the convention and then you have access to the vendor's hall. Got it. Okay. Interesting. 
That was a busy weekend. So what's next? What's coming up next for you? What's coming up next is my chiptune concert at the Corinthian on Sunday the 28th. The Corinthian is that, oh, it's like, it's like an interesting multi-use building. It It is, a, I think it was a Freemasons meeting hall at some point. I heard that too, yeah. Yeah. I, I had my junior prom there. Oh, that's cool. That's, yeah. Did, did they let you go up and down the stairs to like... Yeah, all actually, the nuts had, and crannies. Yeah, they had the photo shoots for the prom upstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, my my cousin she got she got a wedding there once. Yeah, yeah. So so your chip tunes is happening in this venue, which is right quite nice. Yeah. Uh, I had a connection there who was willing to help me put on the event there and uh, you know obtain the contract for that date and. Um, yeah, I actually picked it up today, so nice. I'm really excited. Who's on the bill? Who's on the bill? Viking Guitar, Extent of the Jam, Cartoon Violence, Nicola Lazar Wallen, and Ian Cowell. And these are people from all around the Bay Area. From. Like, they don't all live here, but they're from the Bay Area. Mm. How many? How big is, is the, the community of chiptune musicians? It doesn't end. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they have, like, this... There's a big old gathering in Washington, D.C., which I got to be a part of this year. It was like 20,000 people. Usually they get 30,000 people, but because of the um, the booking date and people's holiday schedules, not as many people attended. But okay. it's pretty big. It's a com- it, They want to call it a fest because it's a festival, because you have a lot of bands and games happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. But it still feels like a convention. Mm. Have you ever hung out at AFK? Yes. You, you don't sound excited. You don't dig it. Why? It's, it's like it blew my mind when I went in there. I was like, "What?" And That's then you, nice. Then you go downstairs. I've never seen anything like that before in person. Yeah, they had money to put that together. What happened? How come you? How come you're not into it? Uh, I don't like the son of. Because he's a douche. Who? Uh, I forgot his name. See, he's not. He's not that remarkable. So, <laughs> is he? Is he the owner? Or is he the chef? Uh, he... he was involved in starting that place. Okay. And I'm not a fan of um, the person who books events there. He's he's not a friend to the chiptune community. Ah. Yeah. I figured they would be. What's the deal? Um. So this guy who books indie and punk shows in the Bay Area, like San Jose and Santa Cruz, is like, he's been doing it a long time. And in the past few years, a bunch of women came out to say that he solicited them when they were underage. And that's not okay. Wow. It's totally not okay. And he's still trying to do this. And some people want to work with him because they think he's the only thing around that puts on chiptune shows but the but, trade-off but, is all the bands like all any serious band does not want to work with that guy so that's why i'm here oh okay i want to do the shows right <laughs> i want the bands here and i want to not you know like be a predator in the community so uh-huh awesome blossom you still working with cinequest i don't work with cinequest anymore no I mean, well, you don't work with CineQuest anymore, do you? Mm. No. I had a good run, though. 
So what else are you, are you involved with? Mm, I work at a drone company. Oh, that's right. That's right. How's that working out for you? Uh, it's kind of awesome and surreal and amazing. You're traveling for that show, for that I am, job, right? I am uh, preparing to travel. I haven't locked down the date yet. Uh, I'm in the process of learning about the products in the company so I can better serve the customer. Yeah. Just like, uh, you've heard of a sales engineer? Like mm -hmm. people who know what the product does so they can present it, its technical specs. Okay. So we have this drone that takes pictures and the data it collects is so precise that when you put it all together, you get a 3D map of the site. It's good for surveys and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, I heard a drone was used to go through caves and scan um, certain structures and caves and such like that. They can do that. Yeah, things are changing, man. It's like, it's crazy. Like, I remember when I was a kid, the drone was those RC helicopters, right? Now, now it's like an industry all, all on its own. It's an industry and it's really cutthroat because if you don't have a need to serve, you're going to die. <laughs> like, like my company is in... Wait, are we talking about drone strikes here? Like, whoa. No, no, we're, ta we're talking about startup infrastructure. When you start a company that has a technology that still doesn't have a need, like, it's looking for a problem to solve. Ah, right? interesting. Yeah, yeah. Drones aren't a solution. Drones are technology. They're a tool. Exactly. Got it. And the drone industry has different things that it's solving. Like, how do you deliver packages to a rural part of a of like a welfare country and deliver medicine in time? Maybe the, there's no road access, and so you look at drones. Hmm. Now, do you really buy this whole Amazon drone uh, project? Uh, I know they have a lot of money to put into the research and but the test out the execution. But the practicality of it. It's not as practical with the current FAA rules. But e even if they're given like full... Free, free range for their skies. Uh, they like, probably want to have have the intellectual property in their name so they can sue, but not necessarily okay. execute it in real life. But I'm talking about like like l let's say you, there is you just see a bunch of drones over your head with packages. Mm -hmm. Is that something you feel comfortable with? I don't. Um, I guess it's not really up to me. <laughs> in your opinion, though. In my opinion. It's a flying cuisine art that can like cut up, cut you up real bad. Like if that's what I'm talking you, about, you know. But I mean, like, honestly, the the uh, the computing technology to coordinate those systems is really, really advanced. Like you already have that with airplanes. You know yeah. what an airplane pilot and, does? And, and they press go and then watch the thing get off the runway right. and then like hang out. I, I mean, like but, not 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 to like right. downplay the role of a pilot. I, Pilots I hear, go through a lot I hear of you, training. I hear you out. I, I agree. Right? But however, planes still fall these days. They still crash. They the still... FAA rule book mm -hmm. is written in blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's what I'm <laughs> it's serious. No, they're like. Like, without all these people dying and crashing from things, there wouldn't be the FAA rulebook. So it's there for a good reason. Right, right. 
I'm just, you know, a little worried about having having a drone fly over me with a refrigerator or something. It's like, oh, shit. Like, really? That doesn't seem that realistic. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, to have, even if it's like a bunch of drones just delivering Amazon books, I'm, I'm still like, come on, like, guys, like, do you have to take it that far? Uh... In honesty, I don't think that's happening here anytime soon because of... Okay, so, um, I mean, this this would mean going into, like, the law, and it's boring. We don't have to get into it, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'm just saying that you have a cool job. I have a cool job. You're doing some cool stuff. I'm an artist in a tech company with no programming background other than UX design, maybe, and, like, um... You know, I test the software, I test the hardware when I'm on the job. That's mom sweeping. Mom, do you, Hi, mom. does she really have to sweep while I'm having this conversation? <laughs> Sorry about that. Wow, son. I know. She just doesn't <laughs> so care. So gracious of you. <laughs> All right, Terry, we reached the hour mark. It's great having you here. Uh, we're good. Is there anything else you want to put out there? Yeah. What's um. Up? You know, do the thing you love. Don't be an asshole. Because assholes make more ma- more assholes, I guess, and they're just mean to people. Yeah. Uh, Good people, uh, they, they add while assholes multiply. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> Right, because you influence one person to be good. Yeah. They become good, and then they add the next person to be good. It's like one versus one. But an asshole can just fuck up, like, multitudes of people at once. Yeah. And they they become assholes. Mm -hmm. Mm. Or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know know if I finished, like, any single thought during this this session. Uh, Story of my life. (laughs) (sighs) Every session. Wow. Yeah, but thank you for coming. And uh, but before we go, um, usually I do this with 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 a guest. Is I, I ask them, I'm like, all right, if you could see yourself as that young person that you were back in high school, uh, what's some word of advice you would give yourself? Um, floss every day. You need your teeth. <laughs> um, be happy with your gifts. You have a lot to give. Mm. and and people notice and uh it makes it makes it gives them a chance to empower themselves too awesome well thank you terry thank you